Happy New Year. It's January 2nd, 2021, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker, the style editor of Airmail. And I'm Michael Haney, a deputy editor here at Airmail. Ashley, I have something to tell you. Please. I've already, like, broken all my New Year's resolutions. I don't feel good, but I'm going to soldier on. Michael, it's only been 24 hours. What happened? I don't know. I just, I I woke up this morning. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do all this. And I just had a panic attack and just tell me I'm going to be okay. You're going to be fine. But this is a sign you had way too many New Year's resolutions. Yeah, maybe I need a reality check. I got to strip it back down and just sort of start over. So I'm starting over. It's okay to start over, right? (laughs) That's what the year, that's what this year is all about, Michael. Okay, good. Yeah, fresh start, right? 2021. We've never needed it more. Did you have a nice New Year's Eve? New Year's... I did. I'm just going to tell the folks listening at home, Ashley. Yep. We're pretending. We're pretending. That's right, you guys. We're screwing with you. New Year's hasn't happened yet. We're getting this done so we can actually enjoy our time off. We have two weeks off, which is the most exciting thing ever. So we are recording this in advance, but we still have this New New Year's spirit, Michael. For me, it's already started. There's a lot of pent-up you know, uh, demand or pent up uh, wanting to like, so yeah, we just want to like get this out of the way so we can go to bed on January 1 at 1 in the morning and maybe not even wake up on January 2nd, maybe wait till January 3rd. But we hope you guys have woken up and you're listening to this podcast and we thank you. Yes. Thank you. Michael, when's the last time you actually stayed up until 1am? I don't know. You mean like at a party or something or? It's like in general. See, I just, this, this is me screwing with you. I'm sorry. I'm needling you now. Yeah. Now now that I've let the can, I, hey, we had a great New Year's Eve, didn't you and I, Ashley? Yes, we did, Michael. Are you still down in Antigua? I don't know if I'm still in Antigua. I mean, I could test positive for COVID, Michael. They could just kick me off this island right away. I don't know. No, for the moment, yes. You know what I'm not going to do in 2021? Tell me. I've resolved not to do something we write about in this week's issue of Airmail, which is a great issue. And we've got a lot of great stories in the issue that Ashley will tell you about shortly. But one is a piece by Emma Freud about a new trend that I think is a trend that I won't be participating in. It's about people doing yoga with goats. This is such a weird story. Alex Marshall, one of our writers in Paris, told me she's recently started inviting a goat to her Zoom meetings. Apparently there's a goat you can hire just as a conversation starter. It's very strange, but I think last year was the year of the llama and this year is the year of the goat. But is this like a, a yoga version of like a comfort animal? MSP's like, I love it. And it's just like, but I'm like, I still don't understand. Like, so people have, there's pictures in the story of people like doing like that upside down kind of bridge thing of the positioning I'm like, with a with a baby goat on their stomach. There's goats with their paws on or their hooves on people's shoulders. See, you're silent. You don't know how to respond. I don't know. I've been practicing yoga for 15 years, maybe 20 at this point, And I still have no idea what's going on. A, a goat. I, I think that it's all about just like pets and cuteness. Also, Emma Freud loves goats, so this could be one of those things. Like, this just could be a weird trend. It's she calls it an earthier style of yoga. I find it's like you know it's interesting. Like the airlines finally banned all these recently banned all the comfort animals, like people coming on with llamas and you know miniature horses and ponies, and they said no enough. The only comfort, the only you know, we're going to have service animals like dogs for, for the vision impaired and things that are really legit. No more people getting their doctors to sign these, you know, 
prescriptions for them. And yet here comes a goat class. But I don't know, you know, I guess it's maybe because everyone has to do yoga outside now because you can't do it indoors. Sure. And maybe Invite the goats are just like wandering around on the grass. Invite a friend. By the way, all these all these trend forecasters that are saying that no one's ever going to go back to a fitness studio or gym after coronavirus, y'all are sorely mistaken, okay? I will be back in a yoga studio the first time that it's allowed. I mean, the first time that I... After I get that vaccine, I will be in a yoga studio the next day. Sweating out the oldies? You know it. It's so impossible to try to exercise at home. Like when your slack is dinging the whole time and your kids are barging in and your spouse wants something from you. It's like, there's no peace. There's no tranquility. Like all these people that are, you know, getting their Peloton on successfully, I tip my hat to you, but that was not my experience in 2020. You know, you asked me last week, like, what was my, what's, what's something that's come out of 2020 that was a, an unexpected, you know, positive. And I would say like, but then... The obverse of that is one thing that's come out that's been a complete disaster is been, I have no strength anymore. No, we live in an apartment. We don't, we can't put a Peloton in here. What do you mean? Okay, wait, wait, wait. You can't put a Peloton in there? I don't know where we'd put it. My arms are like noodles. I, I have no strength. It's embarrassing. This is crazy to me. Your apartment, you've got plenty of room. The footprint of that Peloton is like four feet. Okay. This is the problem, Michael. You're too aesthetic. You don't want it marring your design. I get it. I get it. We walked past the Peloton place the other day on our, on our Sunday walk down. We went up in Brookfield Plaza down there. There's a Peloton thing. Looked at it. We're on the third floor. I would take the stairs every day because, you know, I tell the, the elevator guy, don't worry, I take the stairs. I walk up three flights of stairs and I'm, let, I'm about ready to, you know, call for a medevac because I'm gasping for air. Okay, you need to join me. I do the class by Taryn Toomey, and it requires no equipment, just a mat. I think you're ready for this. All right, maybe. We'll do some burpees. We'll do some sit-ups. We'll do some jumping jacks. We'll do some abdominal exercises, and we'll do we'll do some heart clearing. Okay, Michael, we're going to clear our hearts together in 2021. I'm this ready is for such that. Such a goopy workout. I actually sometimes it's hard for me to stomach, but it does give. It's a great workout, and you can do it at home. All right. All right, we'll do this together. We can't, that, that's your 2021 resolution. You're going to pick it up today. Uh, yeah, as long as it's not, you know, we're not doing a video feed of that on the podcast here. God, no. I don't even own a full-length mirror, Michael. That's my 2021 resolution, is to continue that. <laughs> not the mirror, that's the exercise mirror. No, I don't. Although I, I have friends that like that. I'm kind of curious. If you've tried it, let us know. Tell us how it's going. Hey, what else we got to meet you this week, Ashley? Tell me. Well, we've got a great piece about Frank Sinatra, which I'll get to in a minute. Mm. We've got a very funny piece about one of the other things we learned this week about, or this year, I should say, that we all can agree on is let's get rid of our HR departments. Let's just fire them because <laughs> they stink. We've got a great piece about people doing yoga with goats, which I've already shared with you, and um, much more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm dying to see. We uh, we have an interesting piece about Tuppence Middleton, the British actress who stars alongside Gary Oldham in Mank, which is David Fincher's ode to Orson Welles in the golden days of Hollywood. I'm dying to see this movie. I love David Fincher. You haven't seen Mank yet? No. What are you doing? Have you? Yes. Jeez. I'm sorry. I've been too busy watching National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I was going to say, yeah. Tuppence Middleton is a delight in this film. She plays Sarah, and this is a piece written by Bridget, our, our, our London bureau, 
person. And, you know, she's referred to in the film as poor Sarah because she's kind of long-suffering, but she's got a much more complex and nuanced relationship with Mank and uh, was with him his, his whole career. And uh, it's it's a wonderful piece. We should probably mention, Michael, that she has, she has of no relation to Kate. No relation to Kate. Mm-hmm. We also have a great book review. Bill Keenan, one of our colleagues, has reviewed uh, Pee Wee's Confessions of a Hockey Parent by Rich Cohen. It's interesting because Bill was a hockey superstar. The guy played professional hockey in Sweden. He wrote a memoir about it. The, me- the memoir was made into a film. Uh, that's our own Bill Keenan. Uh, if you guys like hockey, which I personally do not, but others do, it's fun to read this review. And read Rich's book. And read Rich's piece that appeared uh, last week or two weeks ago about being, we have a nice excerpt in the issue about being a hockey parent. Mm-hmm. My working title for it is Puck My Life. But <laughs> thank you. I mean, my kids like to go ice skating. So I've been freezing my keister off uh, outside a lot this winter because it's one of the few things that we can actually do that feels relatively COVID safe. And it is sheer misery taking your kids ice skating if there's no indoor area to cozy up in. So like I've fully lost the feeling in my feet or earlier during the break, Michael. And it was unpleasant. Aren't you supposed to then bring like the schnapps and stuff? And isn't that what the parents do? That's what the hockey parents do. No way. I'm not meeting up in Central Park. Like, I can't afford to, like, get schnapps in the middle of a Thursday afternoon just to stay alive. Like, we have work to do. No. Wow. Okay. Grinch. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Didn't mean to go off. Uh, I still recommend reading Bill's review and Rich's book. And if you haven't seen Mank, Ashley, (laughs) you know what? You're missing out on someone else who's in the film besides Tuppence. Who? I was sitting there watching it with Brooke when it came on. I'm like... And there's this woman, there's a character there. I think her name is Lily. Her character's name is Lily in the film. And she plays uh, this woman who's kind of a nurse secretary, or she's more of a secretary who's been put with Mank to sort of keep him sober and straight as he's trying to write Citizen Kane. And Ooh. we're like, wow, this, this woman is, she's great, very striking. And then Brooke said to me, do you know who that is? And I said, no, who is that? And she said, it's Lily Collins. What? Lily Collins from Emily in Paris. And we come full circle. And you're like, wait, she plays Emily in Emily in Paris. And, you know, one of my guilty pleasures of 2020. And here she is just killing it along with Tuppence Middleton in Mank. All the more incentive for you to get to see it as soon as you can. Well, I certainly will, Michael. Thank you for that assignment. Not assignment, just a suggestion. You know, someone recently, one of my friends texts, I'm on like a thousand of these group texts and they've all been renamed over the past year, like Operation Lean on Me or like Girls Who Need Help. I mean, like it's it's truly comical. (laughs) 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 Believe me, this is not, you're not getting away that easy. I'm going to come back to this, but keep going. Okay. So anyway, so one of, uh, one of these texts full of my girlfriend's uh, raised the question, what's the best book you read in 2020? And, you know, I had a hard time answering that because I've read a lot of good books in 2020, but not many of them were written in 2020. So I think my answer for now is Uncanny Valley, which uh, was written by Anna Wiener, and I loved it. Um, and we actually interviewed her. I interviewed her. Remember, Michael, during lockdown, we were doing those book bookish segments yeah. on IGTV. And we had a really interesting conversation. It's her memoir of working for um, Salesforce in Silicon Valley. But what was your best book of 2020? So it, it has to have been written in 2020? Yes. 
I don't think I qualify. I think I, I don't think I read anything that came out in 2020. I don't, don't admit that. You're Michael, you could lose your job for that. I'm getting flop sweat now. No, I mean, I, I know I did, but I, I didn't come prepared. It's like Tom Cruise in the beginning of Risky Business. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Did you read Obama's new book? No, I haven't read it yet. Okay. David Sedaris's new collection? Yes, I read that. Okay, boom, done. Okay. Phew. Phew. All right. Thank you. Wow. The dream is always the same, to quote Tom Cruise. I'm taking Otessa Moshfeg's new-ish book, too. It came out in August, but um, I, she wrote this wonderful novel called My Year of Rest and Relaxation that I loved. Hmm. And I'm reading her new one, which is about a woman an, a woman living all isolated, you know, on a lake somewhere in the woods on the East Coast. And she's uh, she gets involved in a murder mystery, if you will. And it's kind of wonderful. It's called Death in Her Hands. Ooh, saucy. I like her. Well, you know, it's interesting. So you talk about Mank, the film, which is Fincher's new film. It's about, written by his father, and it's about Mankiewicz writing the screenplay for Orson Welles' directorial debut, Citizen Kane. So, but we've got a great story this week written by Mark Rosso in the issue about another piece of, another writer who created something that is uh, more than 60 years ago, which still has this central place in journalism, in profile writing, in, in, in analyzing pop culture. And it was a piece written by Gay Talese, reported in 1965 and came out in 1966 in Esquire magazine. And it was his profile of Frank Sinatra, who was then just turned 50 years old, was kind of at the, you know, the height of his swinging powers in film, in music, uh, TV. It's a piece called Frank Sinatra Has a Cold. Oh, the best. This is why like an entire generation of us became magazine writers. Exactly, right? Do you remember when you first read it? Yeah, I remember. I re- it, it, it took me in the direction you find me in today, Michael. Yeah, I mean, as, as, as Mark sort of uh, uh, reveals in his piece, it's like how Talese came to write this piece and the, and the and the for those of you who've never read it the, the 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 title Frank Sinatra has a cold is kind of this metaphor for what happens to Talese he's supposed to do this big profile of Sinatra goes to LA Beverly Hills he's going to meet him and Sinatra's longtime publicist Jim Mahoney uh, tells him he's like yeah Sinatra has a cold you can't really can't really interview him so instead what he does is he does what's called a write around in journalism. He spends, uh, and, and you, you, you interview everyone around the subject. And Talese interviewed, I think, by his count, as he says in the piece, over 100 people to sort of get the sense of, he even he interviewed more than 100 people in Sinatra's orbit. Even this woman, a uh, little gray haired lady who earned $400 a week carrying Sinatra's hair pieces around in a little satchel. So it was just this kind of exhaustive reporting around him. He then had 10 weeks, spent 10 weeks reporting it and writing it, which is an eternity in today's time that you get to write a piece, ran up a expense account of the equivalent of $40,000 today. So it's a, but it's, if you've never read it, highly recommend you read not only Mark's piece and then read, 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 read uh, Talisa's profile. I think you can find it online or it's been published as a book, a standalone book. It's a perfect way to spend this weekend is reading this piece in airmail and then reading the the uh, Talisa's piece as well. Am I babbling too much? Nope, no such thing. Um, there's another great story. Uh, the View from Here this week is about the scene in Miami, and it's written by 
Luisita Lopez Torregrosa, and she recently moved to Dallas, but she talks about how the city of Miami, despite what's happening there climate-wise, is on fire. And, you know, the seas are rising and Miami is totally screwed. And it's expected to swell three to 10 inches by the year 2030. That's 10 years away. Uh, That means that, you know, coral reefs will die. Fish are going to be dead. Drinking water will be contaminated. But real estate in Miami is hotter than ever. And now, of course, we've got Jared and Ivanka moving down there. And, you know, with the tax situation in New York, if if income taxes get hit, you're going to see a lot of the, you know, one percenters relocating, especially in this era of remote work, because as you know, there's no income tax in Florida. And in New York City, the income tax is incredibly high. So if people no longer have to be here for work, I think you're going to see a big exodus of people moving down there. You just saw the Goldman Sachs a few weeks ago announced that they were up opening a big office down in Florida. Is that true? Yeah. Look, it's January 2nd. There's a new administration coming in with a focus on the environment very soon. And it's it's a sobering piece, you know, that it just rem- reminds you that if you want to see the fast coming future of what it's going to be like to live in a world where climate change is accelerating, read this piece. And, and you know, one of Graydon's commitments in Aramalis is sort of two pieces on the planet and, and what's happening here. But it just shows in stark relief if you want to see how fast this country is going to have to adjust and, and it's where, where the reality is coming to, to into, into existence, it's in Miami, which is literally going underwater while people are partying. Yeah. And what we're really seeing, Michael, is in the past year, the conversation about the climate used to be the one that I would say we cared very much about. It was at the forefront of conversation. But because of coronavirus and all of the problems that it has engendered, we've been speaking about the environment less. And that's a shame. And I think you're going to see a return to the the conversation around the environment coming very soon, especially as we have a new administration taking effect. Well, Michael, uh, pivoting a minute to great lives, we lost the model Stella Tennant this week. She passed away at the age of 50, uh, just a couple days after her 50th birthday. Were you familiar with her and her work? Of course. One of the uh, supermodels with Linda and everyone else, right? Yeah, she was uh, Scottish. She was from an aristocratic family. And she was one of the original supermodels who came of age in the 1990s. And in addition to her incredible looks and her fashion savvy and sensibilities, she was the granddaughter of the 11th Duke of Devonshire, Andrew Cavendish and Deborah Mitford. And, you know, she was a major muse to Karl Lagerfeld, Johnny Versace, a close friend of Stella McCartney. And she was just kind of one of those ubiquitous characters on the fashion scene who had continued to make incredible images and be such a presence for so many years. Um, my favorite photo, my fa- one of my favorite photographs of her was Arthur Elgort photographed her for Vogue and she was diving into a pool fully dressed uh, in this really fabulous kind of, I think it was a Prince of Wales suit. Um, but she just had a lot of images like that. And she embodied this very British sensibility and style that was always a big inspiration for me personally, but also for so many designers. Yeah, beautiful. it's a beautiful testament. Died suddenly at 50, right? Mm-hmm. Died suddenly at 50. She said in an interview recently that she had been reusing clothes that she had worn since the 90s. And she only bought about five new things a year. I kind of love that uh, sensibility. <laughs> And she was a big believer in, you know, using less energy and reducing the environmental impact of fast fashion. I had a great life. I wanted to just mention briefly as well. British as well. It's, um, if you're familiar with the British duo, Chad and Jeremy, they were part of the British invasion in the 60s. Um, not just following a Beatlemania, but sort of in that same school as Peter and Gordon and Herman's Hermits and um, Chad Stewart. I've always loved this duo. 
and and for those of you who might be thinking, wait, Chad and Jeremy, which one are they? You probably know them best if you have seen the Wes Anderson film Rushmore, which features one of their biggest hits, A Summer Song, which I will not sing for you, but I'll just sort of give you the um, melody of it, which begins trees swaying in the summer breeze, showing off their silver leaves. That was probably their biggest hit in the U.S. And what I loved about them is they had, as Alex Traub wrote in the New York Times, you know, they weren't so much uh, about the British, they were less invasion and more invitation. They had this wistfulness, this upbeat wistfulness inside their tunes. And uh, I found their music so lovely. There's a funny song behind their first hit, and, and they appeared on this show in the U.K., uh, which was kind of like a, an American idol at the time. And one of the judges was Ringo Starr. Uh, they played it, and Ringo said, it's too soft for England, but it might be hit in America. And, of course, it turned out to be a major hit in America. And uh, so, anyway, we lost him this, uh, in the, this, this in the, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I just want to say, great musician. Kisses on a summer's day Laughing all our cares away Just you and I So Michael, on that note, would you please read us out? I would do the first readout of 2021. Hello. Morning Meeting is produced by Airplay Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co-editors are Graydon Carter and Al Sandra Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan and our deputy editors are Nathan King and Chris Garrett. Our CMO is Emily Davis, and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. Our theme music is The Cute Monster by the Buddy Colette Quintet. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please do subscribe and enjoy all of your stories on airmail.news, which is updated every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly. We will be back here next Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure and subscribe at Apple Music or Spotify. Most of all, Happy New Year. Happy 2021 from Ashley Baker and me. And thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us.